you would all stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This morning we're in uh, the third chapter of Colossians. I'll be reading uh, verses 12 through 15, but we're going to bounce around through most of that uh, chapter today. So Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we ask today that you would be pleased with the reading and the hearing and the preaching of the word. We ask that you would take your life-giving word and mix it with faith and use it to transform us more and more uh, into the image of your Son, into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. We ask all this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Do me a favor, go to page four of your liturgy, and about halfway down, we see what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Let's take a moment and read it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. It's interesting. One could argue that this is the most recited passage in the history of the church. For 2,000 years, we've been reading this. But do we actually pay attention to what it says? Because I want to offer to you that if we did pay attention and we did believe it, that every time we read through this, it would drive us to our knees begging for mercy. For there's, there's this little phrase sort of stuck right in the middle of that passage. And it's borderline terrifying. Do you know which one it is? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. That's pretty heady stuff. You know, as I was sitting in the pew, and yeah, I'm going to go off my notes here for those of you who should be afraid now. Um, how many here have read the book, uh, Live Not By Lies? A couple of you? Okay. Highly recommend it. Um, it's super timely. It was written late 2019, right before the COVID madness, and it is very timely. Um, highly recommend it. Um, my memory fails me, so I don't remember the people's names, and they deserve the honor of me remembering their name, but I just don't. I was trying to think of it. I couldn't come up with it, but um, this book is about um, people who came out of um, communist-controlled countries in Europe and have come to the United States, and they interview them. And they talk about the current 
culture of the United States, the current situation we're in. But they tell this story of these people in Russian-controlled countries, and this is a specific family, but they were the underground church, and they spent all of their resources hiding people from the communists, training people in Christianity, training people how to be interrogated and survive. But the thing that blew me away is in this environment in which they would live, they would see their friends get hauled off by the police. And they knew that they were going to get interrogated and tortured. And people would come back in various ways. Some of them held strong. And everybody rejoiced. And some of them broke. And they gave the names of their family and friends to the police so that they could then be rounded up and interrogated and tortured. And they took these people in and they rejoiced and they ministered to their wounds knowing that they very well could have those same wounds soon. And they forgave them. How does that happen? This is somebody that you trusted. This is somebody that you trained. This is somebody that you invested in. And they straight up betrayed you because of their weakness, because of their frailty, because of their little faith. They absolutely crack and tell them everything. And yet the people who trained them forgave them like that instantly. It's just hard for us to even imagine. I mean, I have, I have trouble um, getting my head around that level of love to someone else. I yell at somebody who cuts me off in traffic, right? So in this letter to the Colossians, we get a glorious glimpse of what this kind of a transformed community might look like. What it might look like to live in a community that is dwelling together in Christ, in peace, and in harmony. Anybody want to live there? I do. So the letter to the Colossians starts out like this. To the saints... And faithful brethren in Christ, which, at our, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. This is a community that is famous in the right sense of that word for its faith and its love. It continues, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as into all the world, and brings forth fruit, as it does also in you. This faith and love in this community was bearing fruit. Uh, since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learn from Epaphras, as we also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, 
who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. There's that idea again. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might work, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. Unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Here's the foundation. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's an amazing testimony. I mean, how how would you sum this up, right? Faithful brethren, they're called. We heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love which you have for all the saints. We've heard of your fruitfulness. We've heard of your good works. We've heard of your love in the Spirit. We have heard that you have been strengthened. And that all that leads to patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Patience and long-suffering with joyfulness to the point that they gave thanks to the Father for all things. Now what drives this? What drives this kind of character? What, kind, what drives this kind of action? What drives people to live in this manner? It says right at the end of the passage, right? We have been transformed. We have been translated. We have been recreated. We have been resurrected. We have become a new man. If you want to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. You may have noticed that I always end up in Ephesians chapter 2 at some point. Just know it's coming. I want to remind you who you are. This is an important part of getting to this place in the community, this this place where we can have patience and long-suffering with each other in joy or full of joy. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and which you once walked, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved 
you. Even we were, even when we were dead, or I'll put it in the personal for you, even when you were dead in trespasses and sins, he made you, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to talk about those good works. We're going to talk about being raised with Christ into those heavenly places. This passage in Colossians chapter 3 talks about this. It tells us that we are holy, that we are elect, holy, and beloved. How does that happen? Ephesians chapter 2, right? God, before the foundation of the world, made a way for our sins to be paid for. Amen? See, we, we go back to the Lord's Prayer, right? We want the Lord's kingdom to come. We want things to be done here on earth as they are in heaven. We want to praise according to the heavenly pattern, right? We want to live in harmony with one another according to that heavenly pattern. This is how we get there. This passage tells us that we are to put on this new man. Does everybody understand what put on means? It literally means to get dressed up in these things. It's a little bit like the robe of righteousness, right? So um, we take the old, soiled, filthy garments and we put them off. We throw them away. We destroy them. And we put on the character of Christ. As the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now it's interesting that this true transformation leads to true repentance. And we need to make sure we see that picture of repentance, that it's not just pulling away from these characteristics or these Sins. No, it's, it's pulling away and doing an about face and going towards Jesus, right? That's what repentance is. Turning from, going to. It's just two actions there. Turning from, going to. And in, in this third chapter of Colossians, it's really interesting. In verse 8, we have this list of things that we are told to put off. We're to literally disrobe. We're to take these things off and get rid of them. And then in verse 12, we have these items that we're to put on. And interestingly enough, they correspond with each other. The five things map to each other. It says that we are supposed to put off anger, right? Violent passion of the mind. And we are to put on tender mercies, a deep awareness and uh, sympathy for another suffering. We are to put off wrath, which is violent anger. See a pattern developing over here? And we are to put on kindness, a grace which pervades the whole nature. It mellows all that has been harsh, this violent anger. It mellows like a 
aged fine wine. It says we're to put off malice, which is, I like to describe malice as, um, think of it as a club. That's how you treat people. That's what malice looks like. When somebody interacts with you, you just crush them with, with the club. That's malice. It's kind of like a mallet, but it's malice. What's the opposite of that? What are you to put on? Humility. Esteeming others above yourself. This requires that we understand our inability to not sin. This humility requires that we understand that we are sinners, not in a, a, just a heady sense, but that we are crushed by the realization that we are likely the person who breaks when they're tortured. We are to put off blasphemy. Which is really interesting here because it's not kind of the way we think of like bad doctrine. This is actually speaking evil of someone. This is speaking um, uh, against somebody's reputation. This is trying to hurt somebody with your words. And what we are to put on is meekness. Which says an inward grace of the soul. Calmness, calmness towards God in particular, but it is the acceptance of God's dealings with us, considering them as good, and that they enhance the closeness of our relationship with Him. Considering God's dealings with us as good. Think about these people who were receiving back the folks who had broken in the torture. And in the interrogation. They understood in an instance that that could be them. And they understood at a deep and profound level. That this was God working in their life for good. No question. Joyfully receiving these folks back. And forgiving them. So in verse 8, it tells us we are to put off this filthy language out of our mouth, which is related to blasphemy up above. This filthy language out of your mouth is actually talking about shameful words directed towards people who are redeemed in Christ. This is bad-mouthing the saints, speaking evil of Christ. And we are to put on long-suffering. This is self-restraint before proceeding to action. This is somebody who waits and does not avenge themselves. This is somebody who is Uh, almost impossible to provoke. We are called to put off these old characteristics, to mortify them. To mortify them is a great word picture It means to take out a hammer and to take the organic tissue and crush it until it loses all form and all function. That's what it means to mortify. It means you kill it. You just don't hold it off at arm's length. You just don't subdue it. You crush it until it loses all form and function.
So we are called here to put on Christ. And it's this, this, it's this whole array of garments, if, if you want to look at it that way. But one of the things that I'm, I'm concerned about and I've, I've seen in our, in our broader Christian circles is we tend to not think of this so much as the suit we put on when we're together. We tend to go more towards the, the, um, the armor of God over in Ephesians chapter 6 with each other. We tend to think we are at war. You know, those pick your denomination Methodists down the street, right? The liberal um, Presbyterians, those Reformed Baptists, those fundamentalist Baptists. And we draw our sword and we go to war with them. And that's not what this passage is telling us at all. This passage is telling us specifically that we are to stop talking badly about those who are redeemed. And we are to interact with them in tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering. The armor of God is for the devil. It's doing battle with him. It's important, and that's probably another sermon, but we need to make sure we're not confusing those. So I I now want to kind of talk about these characteristics. So we've been transformed, right? We've been renewed. We've been called to community. And then we've talked about the character that we put on, Christ's character. We put it on, right? The character of the community. And now I want to talk about the, the culture of the community. What does it look like for these redeemed people with, care, with Christ's character living in community together? What does that culture look like? We hear a lot about culture in our day. I mentioned it earlier. It's always fun for me because I went to government schools and I don't really understand what words mean. Or, in the case where we live now, in the time in which we live now, the meanings change. Right? But sometimes not as much as you think. When people talk about culture, they're saying more than they think they are. And follow along here. This is obviously Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. I looked up culture. Does anybody know what the first definition is? Anybody have a guess? It's not what we think it is, right? The act of tilling and preparing the earth for crops. Cultivation. The application of labor and other means of improvement. Second definition. The application of labor or other means to improve good qualities in or growth. As the culture of the mind, the culture of virtue. That one's getting pretty close, isn't it? And then the fourth definition is any labor or means of employment for improvement, correction, or growth. So when people talk about culture, what they're really talking about is they're trying to take you from here to where they want you to be. That's what culture is. They're trying to improve you. Right? They are trying to groom you. They are trying to um, nurture you into this thing. They're, they're, they, have a, they have an end in sight. And so do we. As redeemed people, forgiven under the blood of Christ, with the character of Christ on us, how do we live? How do we interact with each other? Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, people go to church together. I mean, look at the person to your left, and if you're on the far left, then look at the person next to you, right? This person is a beloved saint. Jesus loves this person enough to die for them. You should see them that way. You should also know that they are just as weak as you are. 
and that they are going to fail you and that they are going to disappoint you. And it might be in a very big way. And you are called. In our passage in Colossians 3 here, you are commanded to be forbearing. That means that you are, forg- you are actively forgiving them while they are actively sinning against you in real time. And that you are required, you are commanded to forgive them. That means these past offenses, you are required, commanded to forgive them. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So as we think about this, work down through those characteristics that we're supposed to have put on. And if you feel that you lack some of those, you should get on your knees and ask for God's mercy, that he would grant those to you. As we look at these commands that you are to be forbearing and forgiving. Say, is that me? And if not, we should get on our knees and beg for mercy. And ask God to make it so in us. Do you all memorize the Shorter Catechism here? Does everybody have it memorized? Show of hands. <laughs> do you hate it when they do that? <laughs> question 105, just for I don't have it all memorized. So, um, Question 105, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? The fifth petition is forgive us our debts, right? It says, in the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are the rather encouraged to ask, because by his grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. We are praying that God would make this so. So in, in that transformation, um, Paul says it this way in, in Ephesians 4. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and read it. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught of him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, your way of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to its deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Pastor Clark, like... Adam, right? Your new man, I want you to get your arms around this. Your new man is created by God. It's a new creation in righteousness and true holiness. This is how God sees you. This is how you are to see one another. And when we do that, the next line says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbors, his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon 
your wrath. Has anyone had experience with this? Does it get worse if you let the sun go down on your wrath? If you're at odds with somebody and you don't deal with it, does it get better or does it get worse? It's pretty rare that it improves on its own, right? We're commanded to go and do that in kindness and humility and grace and long-suffering. says, give no place to the devil. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's our list from Colossians. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Put these things away. Be done with them. Kill them. Crush them. Put them to death. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you want to be like Jesus? Yes. Forgive. When we think of all the attributes that we learned about this morning in Christian Instruction Hour, marvelous, glorious doctrines. But I'm not God. But I am called to walk like Jesus. And Jesus forgave us. And we... We sinned, right? I mean, our passage in Colossians said, if you have a quarrel against anyone, forgive them. That word quarrel there means they did something wrong to you. It means they're guilty. You have every right to be upset. But that's not what the passage says. The passage says, be forbearing, be forgiving, be long-suffering. So a couple of thoughts here before we get to the end. Um, how do we forgive like Jesus? Because we obviously can't forgive exactly like Jesus forgives people, right? But what are some of the characteristics of the way he forgave people, right? So if we confess our sins, Jesus is and to our sins and Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus forgives freely. He is ready to forgive. He forgives without hesitation and without delay. He forgives entirely. He pardons our offenses. And he forgives forever. This may be the toughest one for us, right? He did it so as to remember our sins no more. I can't explain how God forgets, but he says he does. He remembers our sin no more. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this. It talks about how we love one another, that we do not keep this record of wrongs. We remember these sins no more. We are called to treat this person who sinned against us 
and who we've forgiven as if they have not sinned against us. I can tell you, you can't do this on your own. This is supernatural stuff, right? If the spirit is not bubbling out of your ears, this is not going to happen. As we talk about forgiving people, I have to at least briefly mention the whole Jay Adams theory on forgiving, right? And so the short version is like this. Do you have to forgive somebody who doesn't ask you to forgive them, right? And and we we can debate around that. Everybody's got an opinion on this. But the point is, the point I'm trying to make is you need to be ready in your heart to forgive. When somebody comes to you, it doesn't really matter how bad the sin is. You have to forgive them. Now, now is there stuff that flows out after that that needs to be taken care of? Sure. But the way that gets taken care of properly is that there's repentance, confession, and forgiveness. And now you can take that junk out of the way and deal with the rest of life, right? We have to take that junk out of the way. And if there's no confession, there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness, you carry this stuff around with you. There's this image that I've seen in counseling. All right, so who's read Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, good. Um, so when Christian has this weight on his back, right? It just kind of keeps propelling him forward. It drives him forward. The weight on his back is his sin, right? So when two people are at odds with each other, their sin, 99.9% of the times, their sin on both sides, and they've got this pack of sin that they're carrying around. And as soon as one little thing happens... This weight of sin causes them to butt heads. It's inevitable. They just can't stop. I mean, you look at them and you're like, what? Just stop. Just stop doing this. But they can't because they have this unresolved sin that drives them to strife. And it's killing us. Because the wages of sin is death. But when we confess, when we repent, and we confess, and the other person tells you, I forgive you. Not it's okay, because it's not okay, but I forgive you, because I'm forgiven. I can now extend that to you. Death is defeated. And resurrection happens. And life happens. And fruitfulness happens. And joy happens. And peace happens. But you know what it takes to do this? It takes laying down your life. It takes laying down your rights. It takes laying down your fences. Shouldn't you rather... Take the wrong? Doesn't scripture tell us that? This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this. Than a man lay down his life for his friends. The people who were training folks in the communist countries, had laid their lives down. They knew they were dead already. If the communists came and killed them, they had already worked through all that. They knew they were dead. All of us need to understand that we're dead men walking. Our time is going to come. You can't can't avoid that, that moment. So lay your life down. Be humble. Get over yourself. And as we see in our passage in 
Colossians chapter 3, it tells us that on top of these Christ characteristics that we're to put on, above those, so those sort of all support the um, sort of the outer garment. We'll call it like the jacket, right? Put on charity. Put on love. It's that word agape, right? And we've probably all heard the early church did these agape meals, right? There was peace and love and joy, and they communed together in sweet fellowship. In a time when the world was falling apart. That's what it means here, which is the bond of perfectness. This is the culmination of those characteristics. Those two um, verbs, to forbear and to forgive. This is holding the whole thing together. This is the... uh, This is the goal. This is the telos. This is the point of this whole passage. Is to put on charity. And. And. To let the peace of God rule in your hearts. When you know that you are at peace with God. When you know that God is no longer at war with you, you can extend that to others, just like forgiveness, right? If God's sovereign rule comforts you, and it should, there is this peace, as I just described a minute ago for the people who were in the communist countries. They're at peace with God. There's nothing man can do to them. So I want to encourage you to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It doesn't matter what's happening in our culture. It doesn't matter what's happening at the gas pump. It doesn't matter what's happening in former Soviet countries. Does it? Does that really affect your relationship with the person on your left? Or the person on your right? Or the person in front of you? See, because it says that we are called into one body. And that this peace of God and this love will cement this body together. Oh, there's one more thing you're supposed to do, too. You see that? You're supposed to be thankful. In all things, right? In all things, even this person that has sinned against you, thank you, Lord, for this situation, because now I see my own sin more clearly, and I can now minister grace to this person. Do we think like that? You know, it's interesting that we have this this agape love that we're talking about where people came together in peace and love and fellowship. And and now it tells us that we're to be thankful. And that word thankful is the word that we get Eucharist from. It's the giving of thanks. You see, this all culminates every Sunday morning right here. When the declaration is made that God has forgiven your sins, you are at peace. And that you are at peace with your brothers and sisters. This is our confession. This is our proclamation. This is our altar call. If those two things aren't true for you, you should get those sorted out. Now. Right now. Real quick, as a recap. God says he will forgive us 
as we forgive others. You are elect from before the foundation of the world, holy, set apart, and beloved. I like the beloved. You are his beloved bride. You are called into a community of love, joy, peace, and sweet fellowship. Your old man has died, and you should make sure he stays dead. And you have been made alive, renewed in righteousness and true holiness. And you are commanded to kill, kill, kill your old man daily, hourly, minute by minute. You are commanded to put on the character of Christ. You are commanded to be forbearing and forgiving as Christ forgave you. You are commanded to love your brothers and your sister. You are commanded to love your brothers and your sisters. I say it again. You are commanded to love your brothers and your sisters. Go memorize 1 Corinthians 13. You are encouraged now, I would even say it's a command, to let the peace of God rule over your life. Love, joy, and peace. And be thankful in all things. Right? Pray without ceasing. Joy serve more. Thankful in all things. Let's pray. Father, it is truly amazing what you have done for us. That you have forgiven our sins. That you have made a way to reconcile us back to yourself. So that we are not only your adopted sons and daughters, but we are born again into your family. We are actually sons and daughters. We are amazed by the work you are doing in us and through us, through the ministry of your word and spirit. We are thankful that you have called us into community with other believers, others that you love. And we ask now, in Jesus' name and for his sake, that you would allow us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we would love our brothers and sisters as we love ourselves in a way that is honoring to you and in a way that is encouraging to them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.